We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. As I readjust my seating chair, I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host, Nick Pilato. This is another YouTube edition of the Big Blue Banter podcast. Today we will be breaking down the NFC East draft. Every single draft class from all three rivals in the East. We've obviously done a lot of draft grades and draft recap and attention to the Giants. And now it's time to set some attention to their rivals, to the people that will be trying to hold them back from winning this division, not only this year, but in future years. Every draft class means a lot, not only toward the now, but toward the future as well. So let's start this bad boy off right away by diving into the Eagles, because one, the Eagles are the most hated team by most Giants fans for a lot of reasons. Their fans tend to bring that on them, and also because I think they're the most interesting team in the East as it relates to the Giants, because of how close they were to picking them in the first round, because of how close they were to picking uh, before them in the second round and in the third round, the key rounds in this draft, days one and two, where I think, honestly, all three of the picks made by the Eagles and by the Giants affected each team. So let's start in round one, where the Eagles are sitting at 12 on the board. As it starts to come off, and we see Jamar Chase come off the board and Jalen Waddle back-to-back at five and six, after Kyle Pitts at four, three of the best playmakers in the class, one, two, three, right in a row. Remember, the Eagles had already made the decision to trade back from 6 to 12, so they had already acquired more draft capital. So in my mind, they were always a potential team to trade up only because of that. I don't think Harry Roseman loves to trade up, but I think he viewed this class a little bit differently because they had the extra capital created from that Dolphins trade. And they go ahead and they trade up one spot ahead of the Giants, and at the time, it was assumed for Devontae Smith, Alabama Heisman Trophy winner. Do you think that this was because of, I don't want to say leaked, but... 
obvious interest the Giants had in Devontae Smith. Absolutely. I mean, it's definitely because Dave Gettleman and this front office, I mean, I'm not saying that they leaked anything, but it was, like you said, pretty obvious that the Giants were interested in Devonta Smith, and it made sense as well. I mean, all the comments, you want to add explosive playmakers to Daniel Jones' arsenal. Who better to add than Devonta Smith, somebody who just came off a record-setting season in the SEC, a Heisman Trophy winner. So I think that was a huge part of it. I don't think the Eagles wanted to see Devonta Smith twice a year either as a New York Giant. So, I mean, like I said on an earlier podcast, the Cowboys in Philadelphia conspired against the Giants, but in all honesty... Uh, I think Joe Judge said it, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So those guys ended up making a trade. And you know what? In all honesty, I feel like in the end it's going to benefit the Giants because of that draft capital and because I also enjoy the skill set of Kadarius Toney. Yeah, as far as if it benefits the Giants or not, I think time will tell on that because I think Devontae Smith is a much cleaner, easier evaluation than Tony. I think Devontae Smith doesn't have the same injury history as Tony. I think he's already a better route runner. I think he's better at high high pointing the catch and Absolutely. concentration on those. I think he's a close to lock player to be a really good player in the NFL. I mean, you say that, but at the same time, there's the he's an outlier. Yeah, he would he would be an outlier from a size standpoint. And, I mean, I just, like, we always talk about process, process, process on this podcast, and that's just a sound process to trade back. And I know you agree as well, to trade back and be able to get that kind of draft capital. And especially in a year, 2022, where you're going to need to sign the free agents that we right. talked about. Like, you're going to have 46 free agents going to be in cap hell next year. And you want better evaluations. That class is going to be so much deeper because so many – players in college went back to school. So that class is going to be entirely Correct. deeper. Like a six-round pick in in this class is going to be an undra- was probably going to be an undrafted guy in that class. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, so that's gonna, spot on. Yeah, it's going to be really, really uh, deep. So I'm glad that they can get 10 picks for next year. Yeah, and I would take Kadarius Tony, the Bears' first round, the Bears' fourth round next year, and the Bears' fifth round from this year, which the Giants ultimately traded up, which we'll get to soon. Um over Devontae Smith, but I'd probably take that package over a lot of players at that spot, with the exception of maybe Panay Sewall, who wasn't available, mm-hmm. Kyle Pitts, who wasn't available. Sadly. I would take that over Jalen Waddle if Jalen Waddle was on the board. I think ultimately when it came down to me, we never got a chance to touch on this, Nick, but, and this is different than normal, because normally I am into the traits and projecting based on traits at the next level, but by the end of it, I was actually in the preference of Devontae Smith over Waddle for me. Devontae Smith was actually a player I really warmed up to, and one NFL exec, uh, and I'm sorry, NFC's exec, and I got this from Albert Breer's column in Monday Morning Quarterback after the draft said, we asked all the SEC guys who the best player they played against was over the last couple of months. All of them, every single one of them, said Devontae Smith. And the Bama guys we asked, all of them said, he's the best football player I've ever been around. That's, that's, that's high praise. And that's high praise. And I think what it ultimately came down to for me is why I was Smith over Waddle. And to, the, to an extent, I was also like, I'm not going to put Smith over Chase, but I think Smith has a decent case to be made as the best receiver in this class. That's fair. Things like this, it's just sometimes I feel like we may overcomplicate it. And it's like, this guy was the best player on the field, the Heisman winner. He looks unbelievable in everything he does on film. He literally looked like, I tweeted this earlier, he looked like Superman in that national championship game before he got hurt. He was unstoppable. That was the closest like LeBron James-type performance I saw from a football player in a national championship game in a long time. And so, ultimately, it is what it is that Eagles made this play. I'm going to give them some credit for this because they had the capital after moving back with the, with the Dolphins originally. And ultimately, it's like, if they had... <laughs> kept Jalen Hurts in that game against Washington football team the last game of the season, the one where they tanked, 
they wouldn't have had the opportunity to do all these things. Originally trade back and get the extra first from moving back to the Dolphins, then have the ability to trade up. They'd be sitting, what, at 12 anyway, and they'd have to trade their future third-round pick, which is what they gave to the Cowboys here, to make this move. So ultimately, I don't think they, they uh, the Cowboys did anything wrong, by the way, either. I don't think... I don't think the Cowboys, everybody keeps asking, I don't think the Cowboys cared who they traded with. They were just like, we're going to get Micah Parsons no matter what. We have good intel that the Giants are not going to take him at at 11 if we trade back to 12. And so we might as well just acquire an extra day two pick. And that's exactly what they did. And I don't want to cross into the Cowboys just yet, yeah. but the Cowboys, they were pretty. They were probably pretty certain that they were going to get one of J.C. Horn or Patrick Sertain. Oh, yeah. And they both got sniped because nobody they thought. happy about that. Yeah, I mean, well, Carolina, they, they needed cornerback. Carolina runs a lot of zone type of mm-hmm. defenses, and they get one of the best man cover corners in the right. draft. And then the Broncos go, and they select their team right from underneath the Dallas Cowboys. So they're just sitting there like, hey, we got this extra third-round pick. We would drop a couple spots, still get the guy we want. Yep, and I think that's exactly what happened. So then we circle back to the second round here where the the Eagles take Landon Dickerson. So Landon Dickerson, obviously, those of you who listen to our podcast or watch our shows know we talked about him effusively during the pre-draft process. He was arguably the best interior offensive lineman in this class from a film standpoint. I think you'd probably make that case. Would you besides maybe Creed? Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, I would say. Oh, oh yeah, of course, Elijah Vera Tucker, cause he, but he'd make it and, as a and, tackle. And Dickerson, I mean, he, he was really good, but his 2020 film was just like exceptional. So yeah. I would say he definitely has a case for it. Okay, and then, and by the way, in that 2020 film, he's playing on a pretty good offensive line there at Alabama. Yeah. There's a lot of talent around him, so that comes into play a little bit there. But the medicals are, are serious concern with him. I mean, we're talking about somebody who recently tore his ACL. I know who's doing the cartwheels at, at Max Pro Day, but that's a recently torn ACL, and it's not the only major injury he's suffered. And to the point where Art Stapleton, um, most of you know him, I think he's with the record, said that, according to his sources, the Giants liked Dickerson, but they had real concerns over his medicals to the point where they weren't comfortable taking him even at 42, let alone 37, where he came off the board, to the Eagles. So what do you make of this pick? Are you giving them... uh, I mean, it sounds like you're pretty... uh, you think they did a pretty good job in the first round, and I agree. What about with this pick at 37 overall? I like Dickerson. I mean, mm-hmm. again, I think they need to infuse their offensive line with younger talent. Lander Dickerson fits that, but, I mean, you already said it, man, the injuries. Now, if he stays healthy, he could be a you know 12-year starter for the Eagles, and it would suck. The kid also seems to have an amazing personality, great locker room guy, all of those types of things. Nick Saban raves about him, all that great stuff, but his play also translates through being really effective football player. So that would be unfortunate. Obviously, you don't want the kid to get injured, though, either. You know, I mean, hope, hopefully, uh, you know, he's healthy and everything like that. But the Eagles got themselves a good football player here. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't blame the Giants, man, because it's not just that torn ACL. There's, like, three different uh, knee injuries. And I think with the opposite knees, one of the knees was a double uh, knee injury. I mean, he, he was a Florida State. He was recruited by Florida State. He got injured a bunch there, transferred to Alabama, and then finally put – the tape together that a lot of people expected him to have. Right. And it's mo- mostly because he was healthy. I mean, the guy's also like a mountain of a man. He's a gigantic, has the NFL frame, very, very powerful at the point of attack, great hands, and you love all those things about him. But it's, uh, it's it all comes down to injuries, man, and the best uh, ability is availability. And he wasn't available that much in college. Yeah, and I'm never going to knock a team for two things. One, drafting an offensive lineman high. Hmm. I'm a big believer in that. And two drafting for the future and not for the now, which ultimately I think is his pick. But why I'm saying that is, if you look at this Eagles defensive roster, it's in, it's in close to shambles. Comparatively to the rest of the league, it's close to shambles. With the exception of Fletcher Cox, and Brandon Graham's an okay player, and, and Hargrave is a good player. With the exception of Cox and Hargrave, 
it's a bunch of okay players across the board on that defense. I'm sorry. I'm going to throw Darius Slay in there because I still think Darius Slay could be playing at a high level, though. Yeah, that could fall off at some time decently soon, too, because he's older and he's been playing for a while. But I'll put those three as very exceptional players. Not TJ Edwards? No, not TJ Edwards. <laughs> I'm not going to throw TJ Edwards into the mix. But the cornerback situation there is dire. And I think, ultimately, the Eagles were actually hoping to get one of Horn or Sertan at 12. That was their goal, or to trade up a spot or two and get one of those guys if it was possible. But then that brings me to the third-round pick here with the Eagles. Because in the draft war room, we've seen some war room videos surface, but one of them that surfaced was Harry Roseman going around trying to give high fives in the Eagles war room after their third-round pick, which was Louisiana Tech uh, defensive tackle Milton Williams. And after he did... The the Eagles pro player of scouting, per, or I'm sorry, the scouting director, whatever it would be, so our version of Chris Pettit, Chris Pettit is the Giants, the, Count, the Eagles, wasn't giving him a high five, and he wasn't happy, and he was shaking his head, similar to Dave Gettleman's second round shake that we caught, that we saw on video. And my assumption here is, considering the Eagles selected here, what, what pick was this overall? I think it was 73. 73 overall. Two picks after the Giants at 71 overall, selected Aaron Robinson, the cornerback. My assumption here is that the Eagles wanted Aaron Robinson. They had a high grade on him, just like the Giants did. He was number one player on the board. They thought they were going to be able to get him. They're in desperate, desperate need of cornerback help. I mean, if you look at this corner depth chart going into this draft for the Eagles, outside of Darius Slay, it is bad news. Like, it could get ugly really fast for a defense that was not good last year. I know they're changing systems going away from Jim Schwartz. I don't know if that's a guarantee to help them, first of all, Nick. And I'm going to say this. Looking at this roster, Avante Maddox, Levert Hill. I mean, we're talking about Craig James. <laughs> this is like really getting – I'm digging deep here to find players who have any kind of value or any kind of projection toward being capable cover players for them. Like, you're going to have to match up against CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, and Gallup, Tony, uh, either Sterling Shepard or, or Slayton or – Galladay, and then flip it over. Now you have to go against Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, and potentially if he you know plays well early on and finds uh, finds playing time early on. Why am I blanking on his name? Diami Brown. Diami Brown. Yeah. So that's not good. When you have two corners that are liabilities, that's not good. So they come back here, they get sniped on Robinson, yeah. and they end up with Milton Williams. I don't think this Milton Milton Williams six foot three, two eighty four. I can see this being a total bust. This pick when you're going into your defensive line this early. And it's somebody like Milton Williams who's not like the guy who felt like... Okay, for example, I'll applaud the Cowboys a couple years ago for getting the kid, uh, the interior defensive lineman who fell, who was clearly a top 30, top 35 talent, but he fell because he plays interior defensive line. What's his name again? The the dude on the Cowboys, I'm trying to remember. Talk about the kid from the Florida school? No, I'm going to get this one real quick. Definitely not that guy. I was going to say. Neville Neville Gallimore. Oh, that was last year, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. last year's draft, Neville Gallimore. When the Cowboys got Neville Gallimore, I applauded them for that to to some degree. I still don't love the idea of investing so high in interior interior defensive linemen because you can find them in a lot of different spots, veterans on free agency. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Or in the middle round, really day three, you can find good players. But if you're going to make that, at least get the guy who's falling, who's like a potential top 30 talent. Don't get your guy. This is a clear your guy pick to me with the Eagles, this Milton Williams kid, because I didn't hear much about him. I didn't do too much in the tier defensive line, but we had John Ledyard on. He wasn't talking about Milton Williams, and Milton Williams wasn't in his interior defensive yeah. line rankings, a group that he said, and not only he, you then saw, I believe it was Peter King wrote it in his Monday morning column, like a couple ones before the draft, the worst interior defensive line class in a decade. Yeah. And so you reach, you get your guy here with Williams. This is, to me, is going to, it's a potential to be a disastrous pick. I didn't watch film on him, mm-hmm. but he's actually like an incredible athlete at his pro day. He- the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Like, tested 99th, 98th percentile on like three separate things. So he has that lower body explosiveness. Sure. And I think they want to maybe use him as somebody who can replace Fletcher Cox in a few years and kind of place that role. Good luck because replacing Fletcher Cox is, that's going to be incredibly difficult because he's such an effective player. But I mean, I love the fact that the Giants, and I do believe this, I think the Giants were like, okay, the Eagles want Aaron Robinson. They want to play some press man type of stuff. We're going to jump him. And they did that. And yep. Just said, okay, Eagles, you jumped us for Devonta Smith. And obviously it wasn't just because this. They're also really high on Aaron Robinson. But they're like, all right, we're going to jump you and get our guy. Bring him in. He's going to make our defense better. And it's going to also hurt you because you're not going to be able to cover the guys you need to because you have a bunch of no-names outside of Darius Slay. Yeah, and I see the, the like rationale by them here. they got the explosive guy, the potential gap-shooting defensive tackle. But I just look at this type of pick when you're reaching at defense interior defensive line rather than getting the guy like Gallimore who fell into mm-hmm. a good value spot. It, you're opening yourself up to a lot of risk, and to me, this can be an easy fail pick. So then we move on to round four, where you got another head-scratcher. It really feels like a pure reach pick by the Eagles, where they feel hoodwinked at the corner position. They won an Aaron Robinson in round, two, in round three. The Giants traded up two spots ahead of them. Now they come back here with Zach McPherson out of Texas Tech. Everything I'm reading about him says that just screams potential reach pick bust to me. Just screams it. Um, do you? Do you? Did you get a chance to watch his tape at all? Do you no, feel? no. Yeah, I, I didn't. A, I didn't get into his tape, so I really can't weigh into it. But a lot of experts who really dove into everybody's tape said that it was a reach. So I'm gonna yeah. take their word for it. But who knows? I mean, Dan, they're. I'm not really 100 percent sure what they're going to do defensively at the moment. 
So I think they yeah. look at a lot of these players, these defensive players that they drafted, Williams, McPherson, and they're like, okay, we're going to have defined roles for these guys in this specific defense because Jim Schwartz is no longer the defensive coordinator. I personally don't know what they're going to do quite yet, but that's what I think it was. It was like, just like with Aaron Robinson, they're going to have a defined role for him. Maybe they were going to use him in a star type of role. Like the Giants, they might use Aaron Robinson. So we're going to wait and see once we get film on them, and then we'll mm-hmm. definitely get back to everybody and, and kind of just – go through what the Eagles are actually doing on the defensive side of the uh, football. Yeah, and they wrapped the draft up with Kenneth Gainwell, the running back out of Memphis, and then Marlon Tuapoloto. Tuapoloto, yeah. Tuapoloto. Good job, man. That was was solid, yeah. I love the Gainwell pick. I think they potentially found a really explosive scat back there. Like, to me, if I'm the Giants and Gainwell's on the board about 30, 35 picks before a guy like Gary Brightwell, who they took, I would have traded a pick. I would have traded the other six round. Like, I would rather right now Gainwell over Brightwell and and uh, Williams. I'm forgetting this. Rodarius. Rodarius. Yeah. I keep getting Kadarius and Rodarius mixed up, and I didn't want to. I knew it was a Darius in there. Kadarius, uh, Rodarius, Denarius. I'm going to get those down. I just got too many Ariuses coming down right now. But Especially yes. with us watching God, bro. Yes. Yes. But Rodarius Williams. Um, but anyway, I would have traded Rodarius Williams and Gary Brightwell for Gainwell if that was an opportunity. Just type of little moves up. I think they're they got a good value there, but again, it's still a smaller guy, and he may ultimately not like. There's been a lot of those types that I've liked, like Kenneth Dixon was a player I thought was going to be a stud in the NFL, yeah. never worked it, out for the Ravens. It's scheme for me, yeah. and also Gamewell was one of my guys that I wrote about on Big Blue View coming into the season, and he has Shane Steichen, who was the Chargers offensive coordinator last year as his offensive coordinator this year. So what does that mean? Look at what they were able to do with Austin Eckler, and he also has Nick Sirianni. As his head coach, mm-hmm. Naheem Hines, somebody who had a great season last year. So I think they're going to view him in that role, that type of Naheem Hines type of role. I could definitely see that. And that could be dangerous, man. Especially, yes. I mean, it might be great for fantasy because Philadelphia's probably going to be trailing a lot next season. So he might get a lot of garbage time. Yep, I can definitely see that. All right, let's give an overall grade on this draft. Yeah, so I would probably go with a C plus, C plus to B. Maybe. I mean, at the end of the draft, just to round it off, they went with Teron Jackson. They went with Patrick Johnson, two edge guys, and then Jacoby Stevens, who was built up as like a top 20 guy before this season, but just had a down year. And that just seems to happen with safety sometimes. He's a safety out of LSU. Teron Jackson, Coastal Carolina, Patrick Johnson, Tulane. But I think I'm going to go with a C plus because they didn't really address that cornerback position, and that was dire for them. Yeah, I'm going to go with a C minus here. I don't really love what I've seen from Jalen Hurts. I don't know if he has the ball placement and accuracy and timing in his passing game to ever really be anything more than kind of a middling quarterback. So if it were me, I'd probably have taken a chance on Justin Fields there if you're going to trade up like you did. Getting a receiver isn't going to flip any script for me, in my opinion. That's just not how you win the NFL with star receivers. Um, Dickerson's a pretty solid pick. I like going O-line, but they had so many other needs there. And I just don't really love the direction this team is headed in from a defensive standpoint. Like, that defensive roster, the good players are getting a lot older, and there are a lot of holes on that defense, a lot of holes. And when you reach, like I think they did on Williams and McPherson, it opens yourself up, in my opinion, to just really, uh, you know, potentially negative results. So I'm going to give them that grade. Let's move on here to another team in the NFC's, the Dallas Cowboys here. So the Cowboys start this thing off by likely wanting to sit at Den and get one of the two corners, Patrick Sertan, 
or J.C. Horn, and they were hoodwinked a bit. I don't think they expected both of them to come off the board. The Panthers really surprised people by coming out and getting J.C. Horn. It didn't surprise me as much because I know that they're going to be a pass coverage team first. I know that that's the way they're building out that defense on that roster. They're also buying into the analytics. They're a very analytics-based team right now with David Tepper, and so I believe they're, if they can find these lockdown corners, they're going to try to. But I think Sertan to the Broncos might have surprised some people, but yeah. ultimately Vic Fangio gets his chance to get a lockdown corner, and I just don't think he's passing it up, and he clearly didn't. So the Cowboys traded back and got Micah Parsons. What do you make of that first pick? Michael Parsons, he can be a stud in that defense, and he could be the Deion Jones for Dan Quinn's defense. Dan Quinn was the head coach for the Atlanta Falcons and went to the Super Bowl. We all know what happened, the 28-3 collapse. He was head football coach for that, but he's a pretty solid defensive mind. We'll see how it ends up going down there in Dallas. And I actually think two of their best or better picks were both guys who may play in the same role in this draft. That's Michael Parsons and Jabril Cox, Mm -hmm. who was – uh, North Dakota State transfer, played one year at LSU, was another coverage type of linebacker. But I think with Micah, you're going to see him a lot blitzing. I think you're going to see him on the edge. I think on those third downs, he's not going to be dropping in the coverage as much, but he's going to be coming as an extra piece of uh, of the pressure packages that Dan Quinn wants to kind of dial up. So that's where I view Micah Parsons, and I think he's going to be really annoying to Giants fans for the next five years and maybe even plus. But we'll see how that all kind of ends up going out. But doesn't that pick just kind of scream Dallas? Yeah, it is a very Cowboys-esque pick, and they've really invested a lot in these off-ball linebackers in recent years. From Jalen Smith, who they used the top a top of a day two pick on, mm-hmm. even despite all the potential knee injuries that were again supposed to be more long term than they yeah. were. And then Leighton Vander Ash, a player who, again, amazing player when he's on the field, but also extensive injury history coming into the NFL, and it's bothered, and he's been, you know, he's unable to stay on the field. And this comes after they've had Sean Lee their whole career, another inside linebacker who's great when on the field. So they're really big on these off-ball guys. They and came, yeah, Sean, Sean Lee also just retired, and they didn't pick up Leighton Vander Esch's fifth-year right. option. So there's other, like, parts of that, too, and that's probably another reason why they doubled down and went two linebackers. But Jabril Cox was also just a huge value in the fourth round. Yeah, that was their best value pick, which we'll get to in a moment, but they really peppered the defense in this draft class. Calvin Joseph in the second round, corner out of Kentucky. Osa Adigazua, Owa's brother, in the third round with their first of two third-round picks. And then Chauncey Golston, a Big Ten kid from Iowa, 6'5", 270 to play kind of maybe that end and kick inside to uh, kick inside on passing down to the defensive tackle. So what do you make of this day two for them where they really loaded up on defense? So I, I struggled to find Kentucky film. I found a couple of Jamin Davis, but it was usually the end zone angle of the All-22, so I couldn't really see what Kelvin Joseph was doing. But when we had Croc, Eric Crocker on the podcast, he said, yeah, there's a lot of upside with him. He has all the athletic ability. He's somebody who transferred from LSU to Kentucky, yet he doesn't trust his eyes, and he doesn't really know exactly how to play the cornerback position yet. So to me, that's like that's moldable piece of clay that maybe Dan Quinn can get his hands on, that coaching staff can get his hands on, and they'll try to develop into a cornerback one or possibly a cornerback two since they have Trevon who they drafted in the second round last year. But, I mean, I feel like there were other corners in this draft that mm. I, I had a lot higher from what I heard about Kelvin Joseph, even a little bit that I did end up seeing of Kelvin. But, again, that's kind of a question mark. And then Osa, I'm, I'm wondering if they're going to use him and try to be like his Grady Jarrett, right. along with a Neville Gallimore. So I'm wondering how, they, uh, how they're how they going to work that. And then as for Chauncey Golson, I mean, they just needed to really – beef up this run defense, which is funny because we talk about the Giants, and that's what Dave Gettleman's thing was. We needed to stop the run. He did that. Right. Cowboys are in a similar situation right now because Mike Nolan's defense last year was horrendous. They, they had no idea how to execute their run fits, and there was just no gap discipline 
at all with that defense, <laughs> which was great to see for Giants fans, people who cover the Giants. But now you added Osa, who's a little bit more of a penetrator, but he's a versatile type of guy. And then Golson, who has heavy hands, and he could really kind of sink his uh, high. He, he's a taller guy. He can sink a center of gravity, hold up the point of attack, use his length pretty well. So, I mean, they're trying to just get tougher and, and really beef up that run defense, which I can't yeah. really knock them for at this point. And I give them all the credit. I mean, I forgot to mention Nishan Wright was their corner. This got of Oregon State. Viewed as a bit of a reach pick. That was their final. They actually yeah. had three, you know, three third-round picks and four picks total in day two. They've been loading up, mm-hmm. trading back, acquiring extra draft capital, take these swings, which I applaud them for. And like you said, I mean, Jabril Cox in round four, one pick, was one pick before the Giants took uh, Ellerson Smith. I love Jabril Cox. Thought he was the best value available. By by far on day on day three, like I didn't think I didn't think there was anyone overall who was a better player, athletic linebacker, so much upside. But at the same time, looking back, I think I'd rather have Ellison Smith now that I've kind of gone over it a little bit and read a little bit more. I just think there's more upside with Ellison Smith as an edge versus kind of that off ball linebacker in Cox. Yeah, especially with uh, the Giants, with everything with the Giants. Yeah, I think we can agree the Giants right. could use a second linebacker next to Blake Martinez, but I think we can get by with Tay Crowder. I think infusing that younger talent at the edge position is a little bit more important, especially with how Patrick Graham uses these twists and these stunts. I think Ellison Smith, his lateral quickness, his ability to get laterally like that, that's going to really, really right. assist uh, this that those kind of games that the Giants like to run with Leonard Williams. Yeah, no doubt about it. And then they finally took their first offensive player at the end of round four in Marshall tackle Josh Ball. Not somebody I studied too much, not someone I have too much information on, kind of a probably a my guy type pick for them. And then they got my guy, my actual guy, Simi Fioku, the wide receiver out of Stanford in round five. Just unbelievable value, in my opinion, there at the back end of round five. I just think they know what they're doing there. They're taking a guy who's just very raw. He's an older prospect because he went on a mission. That's his, you know, he's a Mormon mission type of guy. But He's awesome. Like physically, he's awesome, and he people his size, six foot four, two twenty five, should not be able to move laterally the way he moves laterally. And so I think that could ultimately end up being a good pick. They've done a really good job drafting wide receivers, even like the guys who don't play for them, like Quint, uh, Wilson, the kid they have Boise when, State from Boise State. When he's on the field, he looks really good out there, and he just doesn't play because they have Cooper, Lamb, and Gallup, and. This could be another guy that ultimately is like he steps right in when they when they when Gallup inevitably signs with another team because they don't have the cap space to sign Gallup, and they still then end up having like the best eleven personnel in the NFL with Cooper, Lamb, and then Field. I just kind of kind of envision that happening. So they also signed a Noah. Brown did, back yeah. in uh, 2017. I think they drafted him with like a seventh round. The only reason I bring that up is because he's from Flanders, New Jersey, which isn't far from where I grew up. But he's a big. I think he went to Ohio State. He was yeah. a big body dude. All right, so overall draft grade for the Cowboys here. I want to bring up one other thing yeah. because Dan Quinn, he's a disciple of Pete Carroll, was with the Seattle Seahawks when they had the Legion of Boom. He was the defensive coordinator before he accepted the job with the Atlanta Falcons. I'm wondering, because if, if, this is his first draft, obviously, here, if he's looking at, and obviously huge praise here, I'm not saying these players will become this, but they're looking for roles that can fill this. Now, Sean Wright and Israel Mukuamu from South Carolina, who they got in the sixth round. I'm wondering if they could see if they could develop these guys into those into those safeties that can drop down into the box and really kind of execute trap coverages and just absolutely annihilate people, those big bodies. Because Mukulamu, yep. he was a cornerback for South Carolina. He was the cornerback everybody was talking about before J.C. Horn because he's like six foot four, two hundred and like eighteen pounds or something. Just gigantic individual should not be playing cornerback. He's not athletic enough, but can he drop in the box, play the run? Probably. So I'm wondering with those two picks that I'm going to see if they could really kind of 
find lightning in a place where lightning typically is not. And uh, Sean Wright's another guy who's rather large, I believe. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thought process. Like, will that be there? Are they going to mold this defense in the Quinn way? You know, like, you can totally see them becoming that Falcons-type defense with a cover three, three safeties over the time. That's an interesting, like, thought process because it's going to be – they're asking them to do something so much different than what they've been running on that defense for a long time. So, to me, that could actually be – not long-term, but short-term, a potential negative for the Cowboys. Like Everybody's like, oh, they're going to be a much better defense because they have better coaching. That could be true, or it's going to take time for them to get used to that system and, and operating in different roles, and they're going to start out really slow on defense, potentially. Good, and also, remember, early last they're season... They're banking on a lot of rookies. Yeah, early last season, too, the defense, and defense specifically, like was almost mutinizing against the coaching staff. Now, it wasn't as much Mike McCarthy, sure. but it was Mike Nolan, but Mike McCarthy chose Mike Nolan to be his defensive coordinator, so it could be some unstable ground with some of the veterans in that locker room as well. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I mean... Well, first of all, give it give it a draft grade. This class. This class, I'm gonna go with. I think I'm gonna go with a. There's a lot of players which I love, and I think that's gonna bump me up to a B. I think just. A I think B. it's a B. I think it's a fair B. There's some picks yeah. I really like. There's some picks I'm not as high on, but I like the process here. They acquired a lot of draft capital. Three, like I said, three third round picks is incredible. They can really rebuild their depth on defense, which they need to. I don't think it's going to show up right away, but I think ultimately this could be one of those draft classes that ends up being a solid B or potentially even higher if they hit on some of these guys. Let's move on to the final team in the NFC East and then wrap it up with the Washington football team. And I'm just going to say this from the start, Nick. I really miss the days of Bruce Allen, man. <laughs> yes, yeah, so do I, dude. You used to be able to just count on bad, bad, bad draft classes out of this Washington football team. I mean, they were making bad picks left and right. Process picks, Process-wise, they were bad picks. Evaluation-wise, they were bad picks. Um, and it just doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Like, I like this draft a lot by Washington. We'll start with the first round where they took the biggest riser potentially in the entire draft with the exception of Peyton Turner, and that's Jamin Davis, the linebacker out of Kentucky. I mean, people think he could be the next Darius Leonard. That scares me a little because that defense, if they add that type of player to the mix, if he does end up being a Darius Leonard with the defensive line they already have in place with Montez Sweat and Chase Young, if you then have an off-ball linebacker like that to just be able to take advantage of a great defensive line in front of him, it's a scary thought process, so I, I like that pick. Where would you stand on that one? I, I actually really like the Washington draft. I think it's very unfortunate, but that pick specifically, I mean, it makes sense. You want to really – because, I mean, we talked about Washington, their defense last offseason, right, we're, we're, or just last season in general. We were like, okay, look, they have this excellent defensive line, but behind that it's it's not a lot of talent, but they get the job done. Now you bring in this athletic freak who's going to be able to cover the tight ends and even some of the wide receivers in the slot. I mean, it's it could be dangerous if everything clicks for them. So, yeah. that's, so you, I, I love the fact that I think their mind is in the right spot. Cause you've got somebody who isn't lacking for size. He's not one of those like 218-pound linebackers. He's like 235 pounds, yet he can cover really well. So there's a lot of upside with that pick. And then I really like what they did in round two with Samuel yeah, Cosby. Man, so I mean, Cosby is a player who I think was a little bit slept on during this process. If you really watch him, he's incredibly smooth, and he just projects to me as, like, another Brian O'Neill type. Brian O'Neill was a player the Vikings took. A little bit of a project, they thought, athletic-type tackle with good feet. I'm always really looking for the feet with the tackles. That's, like, my main thing I'm now looking for. you big just, feet guy? I'm a big feet guy. Can they move their feet to get into, the, to get into you know, these pass pro sets quickly? Because if not, they're going to be exposed. And are they balanced? 
when they get in there? Are they balanced and can they move their feet quickly? And to me, Cosme can. Can he be a lot stronger? Yes, he's not the strongest guy at all. He's not going to be a mover in the run game by any means, Cosme. But he's got the frame, he's got the length at six foot six, and he's got the feet, man, and he's got the balance and the quickness. I think he's a good chance to just be a good tackle for them, and in addition to Morgan Moses they already have. He's even in some ways similar to Moses because Moses isn't a people mover either. Yeah. yeah, and he's also somebody who's a little raw with his hands right now, Samuel Cosme. That can be developed, and that can, with experience he can learn that, especially with these NFL coaches and just getting NFL reps. So those things can definitely improve. But things that usually typically struggle with improvement are footwork. Not all the time, but Eric Flowers. Our footwork, power, bend, all those types of things. And I don't think Cosme is, is overly bendy because he's rather large. He's mm-hmm. like 6'7", teetering on 6'8", but you know, six foot seven and a half or whatever. So, uh, I mean, getting him in the top 50, that's a pretty damn good pick. And you know they needed offensive line help as well. So Yeah, I liked him a lot there. Yeah. I thought, it was, I thought you know, he was just slept on because the class was so deep. In the third round, they took Benjamin St. Juice, the corner out of Minnesota. I don't have much on him. Do you have? Do you, have, do you want to touch on this one? Yeah, Benjamin St. Juice is a he's a Canadian prospect. Ended up going to the University of Minnesota. I think he was a transfer from Michigan, if I'm not mistaken. Don't mm-hmm. quote me on that, but I think he was. And he's just an incredibly long dude. Didn't play all that much in college, but went down to the Senior Bowl. Had a great Senior right. Bowl event. I'm telling you, man, if you're a senior and you get invited to that event, just go because it could really make you, especially if you're one of those fringe seniors. Right. He ended up doing excellent there, showing his length and showing his ability to transition his hips, good footwork, and he was much more fluid than I expected with his build because he's a bigger cornerback. So I think that's another pick that I look at and I'm like, whew. Washington's kind of killing this right now. I kind of agree. Six foot three, and not only super long. He had good. They, everything I read about him was that he had good recovery speed and drills at the Senior Bowl. That's huge. You want for these long outside corners. Mm-hmm. It's a tools pick. They're betting on his traits, and I think that's a fine play to make, especially at the corner position in round three. And then they come back and round, at the end of round three, a pick nineteen or in the middle of round three, one of my favorite value picks in the entire draft. That's Deami Brown, the wide receiver out of North Carolina. I mean, we had Crocker on the podcast who evaluates wide receivers and corners, and he said if Deami Brown was playing at Alabama, he would have been a top 10 or top 15 pick. The traits are all there. They just didn't ask him to run. They had him run a limited route tree at UNC. That's not his problem. That's the same knock that they had on DK Metcalf coming out of Ole Miss and A.J. Brown to some degree, too, and yet they come into the NFL and they're dominant players, and he's got all the raw tools to go along with that. He moves really well without the football. His ability to separate his lower body flexibility and his and and his lateral agility. I mean, this to me could be a slam dunk pick for them, and they just that's four straight great picks really for them. I think. And you got to look at their roster already. They brought in Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel, yep. what does he do best? I think he's actually a pretty solid vertical guy, mm-hmm. but he's really good underneath near the line of scrimmage. You have Terry McLaurin, one of the better intermediate threats when attacking and just knowing how to just having that spatial awareness to find voids and zones and kind of use those deep dig routes those deep over routes in the intermediate parts of the field and now you add Diami Brown who is one of the best vertical receivers in this draft I mean that's three levels right there so that, that could be a that could be really good for Ryan Fitzpatrick, not as good for the New York Giants. Yeah, for sure. And then they come back with John Bates, a tight end in a Boise State, who I know you liked a lot and thought as a potential sleeper for the Giants. So another strong pick there in the fourth round. They close out their draft with some late-round guys, Derek Forrest, the safety out of Cincy, Cameroon Cheeseman, what a name, the that, long snapper. That's a pretty cool name. Out of Michigan. And then William Bradley King, the outside linebacker from Baylor, who like, like at times I think was like discussed as like a day one or day two pick back in the process. Like amazing this guy falls all the way to round seven. This shows how much he's fallen off really. Would you, do you make anything of those day three picks? 
Um, we also should probably acknowledge Shaka Tony. Yes. Because we brought him up on and the Tony, podcast. Correct. He's an edge from Penn State. He went down to the Senior Bowl, man, and honestly, my takeaway, my initial takeaway, just seeing him out there, I'm like, bro, that guy looks really small. But he has some good college tape, and he really knows how to use his hands as a pass rusher, has pretty solid athletic ability. But when you're when you're small, it reminds me of um, Sutton from what, – what school was that? Do you remember him a couple years ago? Uh, yeah. He went down to the senior bowl, though, and he was just getting tossed around, and it was just like, oh, man, you had such good, like, college tape, but you're just taking advantage Mm -hmm. of lesser competition. Shaka played in the Big Ten, but still, if you don't have those length and that size, you're going to slip in the draft. But, you know, hopefully he finds his way onto the field. Yeah, overall grade for this draft class for you? I would say this is a B plus. I think. B-plus teetering on A. I'm going strong A here. Not even A-minus for me. It's an A. Diami Brown, incredible pick. Samuel Cosme, to me, is very underrated. And then Jamin Davis, I'm good with, too. And then Benjamin St. Juice, like, you look at him and you're like, this could end up being a great pick And at that spot. Then also get Bates and Tony and guys like that at the end. I just feel like they did a really good job here, the Washington football team. They also just got a guy with an excellent name in Cameroon. It is true. Cheese man. All right. That's it for today's NFC East draft grades and draft breakdown. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this video. We'll be trying to do more of these ones. In addition to some live videos, that's probably the next step for us. We want to do some live shows where you guys can join in in the comments, get your questions in, and we'll answer those and go from there. But otherwise, have a great rest of your week. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. And if you want to help us out, hit that subscribe button you can see in the lower right corner of your